Good Thursday afternoon. Welcome to a football show. His name is Zach. My name is Braden. How is everybody doing today? Big show planned. Huge week four in the NFL. Huge week five in the SEC. Good afternoon, Zach. How are you, sir? I am doing great. I'm doing pretty, pretty fabulously. Oh, well, that is quite an improvement on last Thursday's attitude and demeanor. Uh, so we're in a better place. We're in a better. We're in a. We're in a better spot this week as we head into week four. Big Titans Colts matchup. You've got a. Uh, sort of a, a recipe, a building plan, a construction construction of a win for the Tennessee Titans. What does it look like? How does it need to go down in Indianapolis against the beloved Indianapolis Colts, the beloved coach and head and and GM and ownership combination of Frank Wright, Chris Ballard, and Jim Irsay, just all humans that Titans fans just love to tweet about. Uh, lots of stuff in the SEC, of course, in week number five as well. Kentucky and Ole Miss, Bama and Arkansas. You've got a topic about the Tennessee Volunteers and the college football playoff. Is that correct? That it's it I it's basically us talking about Joe Rexroad's oh, comments okay. about okay. it. Well, we do we do like talking about Joe Rexroad. There's no yes. question about that. No doubt. Um uh, and of course, so we got a lot of stuff to do today on the show. We'll break down the matchup again in the NFL and all kinds of stuff in college football as well. Make sure you get into the comment section. Try to get you guys involved in the show as much as possible. So if you want to comment, you got questions, you got takes, Spew them right there in the comment section. Turn all the notifications on as well. Zach, where can people find you and all the other work that you do throughout the course of this great week? Head over to YouTube. Head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. Head over to Facebook. Head over to Twitter, at FWordSpot. Head over to Facebook for, you know, everything under the sun as far as at 440 Sports. Then you also have at Broadway Sports Media. And then also on YouTube, you have both those channels. Turn on all your notifications because not only do you get this show, you get other shows, other video clips, other podcasts, including the Fringe Element, which is an SEC-only show that 440 Sports puts on. And then you also get notifications for Music City Audible, for football and other F-words when they post videos on the Broadway Sports Media Network because we're doing videos now. Because we're just just not enough me 20, on your screen. It's 2022, man. Everything's got to be on video. No, it's wonderful. It's fun. And of course, it's also why we got the Weiss Liquor sign in the background here. So make sure you swing by Weiss Liquors. Family owned and operated. Locally owned liquor store in East Nashville. Such, such, search Uber Eats Weiss Liquors and get the booze delivered uh, right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Of course, then you got the logo right here. The Kingston Group right there. Uh, buildkg.com is the website. Just give them a call. If you're going to make a huge decision about your house, this is not a hard thing to understand, Zach. If you're going to make a huge decision, have some expertise next to you to help guide that decision with as much wisdom as possible. So have a conversation with the Kingston Group before you make any big decisions, selling, reselling, custom home building, anything you want right there at the Kingston Group. And of course, come out on Monday. Every single Monday, live from the pharmacy, burger, parlor, and beer garden in East Nashville, right there on McFerrin Avenue. To heckle Zach on Mondays at 1 p.m. Bring we, are, it. we are live. Um, I, I, sources indicate that someone may be coming on Monday to heckle you. There's a specific. Right. There's a specific heckler that has been invited, and I think he's so good at heckling that I'm not. I'm kind of concerned about how you're going to perform on the show. Uh, I know you're very Joe, good, right? I know you're very good. Yeah, must be Joe. It's maybe, easy, easy maybe guess. It maybe, maybe it is. Um, so pharmacy. Kingston Group, Weiss Liquors, you know the drill. Support all those local businesses that support this show so that we can bring it to you guys via Facebook, YouTube, podcast, all that good stuff. All right. The Tennessee Titans have won eight consecutive road games in the division. They are going for number nine this Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. They have won three in a row in Indianapolis. They have won four out of five against the Colts. This is a team that people hate with a lot of passion. And, of course, there's not many records in the NFL not many teams have ever won 10 consecutive nine or 10 consecutive road games in the division so they are among this will be one of the longest streaks in the history of the NFL or at least modern history of the NFL should they get to nine wins um I I don't know is this a must-win situation for their playoff hopes I hate using that phrase Zach because they are not eliminated from the playoffs if they lose this game I'm assuming that's not exactly what you meant well I I don't think it's an automatic elimination but i do think that your road to getting in the uh playoffs is way more difficult if you don't win this game i mean what are the chances that you lose this game and you've lost to a worse colts team and arguably the worst team in your division to up there with the texans 
And then you have to still face the Jaguars, and you have a short turnaround to face them again, to face the Colts again. Uh, it's not going to be a confidence builder. So if you <laughs> lose this game, you you if you lose this game, things are worse than what we all thought. Because I've been talking all week about how the season hasn't been saved, or the season. Um, I can't remember the other phrase I used. But. Would you would you use that if they win this game and they're now two and two, no. one field goal away from being no, three and one? No, would you say no. the season has been saved? No, the season's saved when they make it to the Super Bowl and win. That's the that's the, Man, the saving of the season. That's what the expectations should be, right? Okay. You're an AFC. You were the number one AFC seed last year. You've been to an AFC championship game. You've won your division numerous times. What the fuck is left other than a Super Bowl? Uh, so I again, we've gone through this yeah. discussion now a bunch of times, and I don't disagree with your basic premise. I think there's also then like a reasonable expectation conversation about this collection of players and this roster, and certainly. But it was, but at the time that expectations were sure. set, everybody loved this roster, right? Now that the roster is shitty, well, you should lower <laughs> your expectations. No, well, I don't. No, that's not. No. That's, I don't think that's fair. And I don't. I, I don't think a single. I don't know of a single person that that was picking this team to all off season to go to the Super Bowl. It's there. It should be the fans' expectations and the internal expectations of the coaches and the players in the front office. Right. But I think rational human beings looked at this roster the day after whatever, pick a pick a benchmark, the free agency, the draft, the, the playoff loss, whatever it was. And I think almost everyone agreed, okay, they're they're one of the best teams in the AFC. They're probably still the best team in the AFC South, but they are not one of the top. They're they're not better than the bills or the chiefs or we whoever know now listen we said on this show numerous times how deep the roster was and how good the roster was were we wrong yes but that was what we <laughs> said on this show and and i think that when you look at this you can't go one and three right now it's just it's it's it, it's devastating. It'd be a devastating blow to lose this game. Devastating for your locker room, devastating for your coaches and the expectations you're now the only win is against a bad Raiders team. And I, I know people are going hand wringing. They say, you can't call them a bad Raiders team. You, that that's, that's ridiculous. Listen, the Raiders may end up being good, just like the Titans may end up being good. But in the moment that you play them, they were a bad football team. Okay. Because, and, and that's what matters. It matters what, when you play a team, what they are in that game, not what they end up being. And so far, you're bringing in a Colts team and you're going into their home where, like you said, you've won eight straight on the road. And not, not in Indianapolis, but in, in the division. Right, in, in the division. And they won three. They have won three straight in, in yeah. Indianapolis. Great story. Any other things clarifying? Well, I'm trying to get this oh, out. Oh, okay. So, okay. Sassy Zach. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. And My then you apologies. got Derrick Henry. Coming in to where he injured his foot last year. And I know he says, oh, I'm not really thinking about it. Yeah, you are. Like, who are you trying to fool? You're thinking about, I. this is the place where I did it. I got a little bone to pick with this, this stadium. And I'm going to make sure that I come out firing on all cylinders. Because leading up to when he got injured, he wasn't playing that well anyway. So, all of this to say, there's so much riding on them walking away with a win. And it is a must-win game if you are looking to convince people that you are a, are back. That you that zero and two start is not who we are. We are a first half. We are that first half Raiders team, right? That's who we truly are. So we got to go in here and, and we got to beat the this shitty ass team. That is way worse than any of the opponents that you face. They are worse than the Giants. Really? Okay. All right. That's interesting. Hands down. That's interesting because they, <laughs> a team worse than the Giants just beat the Chiefs on the road. Um, I, I the listen, Chiefs I just, beat themselves. I, I agree, and, and they made mistakes. And they gave up a late touchdown, and it's one of those. I, it's almost like that game, though, is why I don't feel like again. I also have this weird personal thing with the phrase "must win" because by definition, it's not. They're not eliminated, but that's just like a weird like you know, media thing that bothers me. I, I think the the broader point that we're trying to make here is again, I think the Bengals were five and four last year before their bye week. They go into the bye week, they win a bunch of games down the stretch and they get real hot. And I think I have long believed in the NFL that as long as you are four and four halfway through your season, that you've got a chance to be a great team, that you can win the Super Bowl, 
that you can win your division, that like anything can happen if things fall into place, right? Because everyone is so even. And so I don't think that the season is over with a loss. I think that's, I don't think you can look at last week and say that the Chiefs are terrible or that the Colts are great because you can't. I, I just think the NFL is this monster where week in and week out, it's it's not about the one set of data. It's about how you how it all puts together at the end of the year. And I don't think a loss this weekend changes, how, like, I guess it, it, look, it depends on how it looks. If Derrick Henry once again cannot run the football and the Colts have been elite at stopping the run, if they if they cannot run the football again and the playmakers aren't there and the defensive line's not pressuring the quarterback against a, a quarterback that has been under nothing but pressure all season, it's about how it looks to me uh, more than I'm – I just think it's so early in the season to start throwing things away like a whole year if that makes sense well i i look at it this way there there's just so much surrounding this team right now there's questions about their offensive coordinator there's questions about second half woes there's questions about derrick henry's viability there's questions about this defense and the questions about the in-game management the penalties there's all kinds of questions essentially everything we said about this team heading into the season has been debunked like 100% other than the O-line <laughs> is, is pretty much the only thing that we got right. The O-line and the defensive line. We got the trenches right, so we at least got like what, two things out of 32 things that we predicted about this team. Well, and I think, I guess that's my point is that I don't think the jury and the verdicts are in on some of that stuff yet. I think you have to play 10, 12, 14 games before you can definitively say this specific player, like again, I think Shane Bowen talked about it today with Caleb Farley. And again, I don't like that he's comparing it to a rookie and Elijah Molden from last year, but he said, you know, Caleb, like Elijah Molden went through this process at the beginning of last year. Problem is, is that Caleb Farley's not a rookie, but that's neither here nor there. That there is this growth that happens that a player becomes who he is later on in the year. And so I just, I don't, I want to be, I'm just more on the conservative side of, I thought this team was going to be pretty good. I thought this team could win the division. I thought they were going to be good at X, Y, and Z and bad at X, Y, and Z. And I'm not ready to sort of change all of that just yet. But you lose to Indianapolis in a bad way, in an ugly way, where you can't run the football, you can't pressure the quarterback, and Matt Ryan carves you up, I'm, I'm, then I'm starting to change some things. Because to your point, this is not a great Colts team. Well, I look at the Caleb Farley comment, and I'm thinking to myself, the immediate thing I'm thinking to myself is, well, y'all let Elijah Molden still play. I mean, they, they let him play like I, that. That does nothing for me. I, I, I think it's a great sentiment. I think it kind of shows that maybe they're like, we, we really haven't given up on Caleb Farley or we, you know, we, we are still hoping that he comes around and does some stuff and maybe we're just not going to coach him. But they let Elijah Molden play. So I think and I think that goes also to the that Elijah Molden and Caleb Farley from the outset or have just been two different players. I think Elijah Molden is closer to Roger McCreary in football yep. IQ yep. and attitude, work ethic, all that kind of stuff. Pre pre prepared for the, the game of yeah. the, you know, the professional world. Right. That, that's neither here nor there. You know, if, if let's, let's say this, let's say an exact game script happens like the Raiders game. They, they come out, they're firing in the first half. They, they have this humongous lead, and then the Colts use Alec Pierce, and he abuses Terrence Mitchell all in the second half. Down the sideline. <laughs> down the sideline, second half. He's making all these plays, and the Titans uh, win, barely win because of a failed, you know, Matt, Matt Ryan fumbles trying to do a two-point conversion or something. <laughs> you still don't feel good about this team, even with the win. You feel good about their chances of winning the, the beating some te players and teams in the AFC South because they suck but you still don't feel good about this team because of a win. So in my mind, this is a must-win game. And, you know, heading into the season, this was going to be a must-watch game. And now it is a must-watch for, for their fans and stuff, but for the general NFL, yeah, who gives a shit about this game, you know, from their perspective? Nobody no, no, cares yeah, anymore. Yeah. No, it, it's definitely lost some national luster. There's, there's no question about it, especially – with Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry not being not looking like and playing like or the offensive lines playing like themselves. Again, Matt Ryan has been sacked 10 times in the last two games. Matt Ryan, 10 times. He's fumbled the ball seven times, and he's thrown, I think, four interceptions. So that is – he's lost two fumbles. That is seven fumbles, six turnovers, 10 sacks in, in the last two games for Matt Ryan. It's like – And this blaming the offensive line for everything is – 
is kind of wild to me. Like, I kind of think that that that's it's it's him, right? I mean, this is kind of what we said at the at the outset about Matt Ryan is that do we really believe in Matt Ryan? I you know, and now he's kind of proven. Hey, there's one thing we got right. We're we're starting to get the points back up. <laughs> no, I think it was. It's about. I think the thing we said in the summer was if the arm is still strong enough to make throws, he can be a dangerous player because he's so heady. He's so smart. He's been around a long time. Shane Bowen said it today. Like teams that are playing against him have to throw a whole lot of stuff, at, uh, you know, against the wall from a disguise standpoint because he he sees it so well and prepares for it pre-snap. It's whether or not the arm is good enough to execute the thing his brain sees. Is the is the question, and it's why you see him with 37 pass attempts last last week for 222 yards. That is 6.0 yards per attempt. That is terrible for an NFL yeah. quarterback. Which means, as expected, another thing we got right: they are playing a short offense, throwing the ball short, playing that quick passing game. Uh, does that slow down the Titans' pass rush? Who is the Titans' pass rush this week? Uh, a lot of questions there on who's actually going to be on the field for them. There's a lot of opportunity here for this Titans team to come away with this with a win and feeling a lot better about themselves than they did two weeks ago. Well, they they got to do it convincingly. And I think when you're talking about building a convincing win sponsored by Build KG, a little little uh, nugget right there. The Kingston, segment. the Kingston Group building yeah. a convincing win for the Tennessee Titans. I think it starts for if you want to convince people that you're you're back. Well, let me say this: the Raiders win has 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 like got Titans fans with their head in the sand like an ostrich, thinking that oh when that win, woo, that win that did win did everything. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> who's saying that? Oh, all kinds of people. You just got well, but I guess if you're gonna ride the if you're gonna ride the roller coaster in the NFL like that, then that's fine. Yeah, but just but just admit that you are riding the roller coaster. Right. I guess I'm the opposite type of person where it's like I don't think a loss is a huge deal. I don't think a win is a huge deal. Let's see where it all shakes out in the end. You're just very apathetic. You 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 don't like making proclamations because you don't want to be wrong in the end. Oh, I don't give a shit about being wrong. That's my wife. I'm wrong all the time. I, but what I did. But the NFL is impossible. Like the NFL is different than college football or the NBA or all these other like the World Cup. The U.S. World Cup team is not going to do great. Okay, I feel fine about making a proclamation. I'd love to be wrong about that, by the way. But in the NFL, like you literally can just be average at everything. And all of a sudden, one thing starts to go right. And all of a sudden, you win your division and you're playing in the NFC or AFC championship game. It's just a it's a fucking weird game. It's a weird sport. Everyone is basically even. The um, So I think the what you brought up with the pass rush, that's the big key. You want to build a convincing win. You got to rush be able to rush Matt Ryan. And I think Bud Dupree's obviously a full participant on uh, Wednesday's practice. He's also was being interviewed in the locker room. No question about it. Unless he re-injures himself between now and then, Bud Dupree is playing on Sunday. And that is a huge lift for this team. You got a Danico Autry revenge game in the book. If you watch <laughs> the Raiders game, Danico Autry was throwing Ooh. men around. He was he was abusing offensive linemen so much that Jeff Schwartz went on Twitter with the, the clip of him actually throwing offensive linemen. It was like all up in arms that this offensive line, some kind of <laughs> block or something. So like that's how good Danico Autry was. And when you got Bud Dupree back, that's a little bit less snaps for D Rashad Weaver, and you can maximize his talent, keep him fresh. And then you're going to have Jeffrey Simmons there, who's a regular abuser of Quentin Nelson. The pass rush right now is trending in the right direction for to have a big game. And when the pass rush has a big game, your cornerbacks have a big game. And Christian Fulton, all he has to do, and listen, I know this team hates playing man to man. Just <laughs> not, let Christian, not, not with Terrence Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Just do not put Terrence Mitchell on Michael Pittman whatsoever. It should be Christian Fulton or Roger McCreary on Michael Pittman. And it should be the other guy that's not on Michael Pittman should be on Alec Pierce. Make money. Done, that's done. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's done. all you got to do. <laughs> and and this Jelani Woods, oh, he's got a big pass radius and everything. That's fine and all. Or pass catch radius. That's fine and all. It doesn't really matter to me. Get Here's how you build a convincing win. Because we're going to go to the offensive side of the ball. Well, wait, can, can I, can I add one thing on the corners? Because yeah. I want to add one thing with Caleb Farley. I, I If this is the path Caleb Farley is going to go down. Now, again... 
there's a long way to go in his career before we even have any true knowledge of what, you know, total bust or great player or whatever. We've got an idea, but it's still very, very early. Here's the thing, though. There's a lot of really talented corners that end up sliding inside to play against tight ends. And if you've got a tight end with a really big catch radius, who would be good to put up against a tight end with really good catch radius? Maybe a 6-1 corner with lots of range and length who's maybe not as good in the open field against athletic, small, speedy receivers. That is the guy. You, he, he, that is the Micah Hyde. That is the Dane Crookshake. That, that type, Caleb Farley, there is a, there's more than just one role potentially for Caleb Farley. I would uh, love to see them use him and just try it out. Like, why not play him in man-to-man coverage against the tight end? Fully agree. And and here's what I'll say about this. And I wish I had remembered and wrote it down to talk about it with Mike on a football and other efforts when we were talking about Caleb Farley and a path to success and how to salvage this pick, which is out now wherever podcasts are, you get your podcast. <laughs> Listen, the I think the path to success is Caleb Farley in college was not a zone cornerback. Okay. Why not play him as man? Give him less, I mean, less responsibility, maximize talent. Maybe instead of drafting a man cornerback like you did, who is used to, you know, maybe simple routes and following receivers or simple assignments, and maybe instead of cramming a, a, a square peg in a round hole, you try taking that square peg, pull it out your ass, and put it into the square <laughs> hole. I don't get it. I don't get why. I get it that you're, that's such your a, system. Such a, such a terrible visual. Yeah. I get that that's your system. But why draft a player that doesn't fit your system if you're not going to maybe use him how he should be used? What made him great in college was he would follow and shadow the, the opposing wide receiver. He doesn't get to do that. The, the the mistakes that he's making, according to what Mike has said and what you have alluded to too, is and what Vrabel and them have all said is the the instance where he has to pass off the wide receiver. He thinks he's he's passing it off and he's not communicating. Yeah. Take that away from him. Just yeah. be man coverage. Okay, anyway, we're off the defense now. <laughs> I want to keep talking about yeah, but Caleb you Farley. agree with but you agree with kind of a that yes. could be that could be a path. Why for not? Him to, why yeah, not be um why not have your man cornerback be a man cornerback? Whether that's on the tight end or whether that's on a wide receiver on the outside that's uh six four and two hundred something pounds and not putting Terrence Michelle on there, and I'm calling him Michelle on purpose <laughs> and putting him out there. That guy looks like he just get, he works at a Waffle House or Walmart. I mean, he doesn't even look like a football player. He looks so skinny. Terrence Mitchell just looks so skinny. Doesn't even look like a football player. Right, it's really, I am, ridiculous. I am sorry that I distracted you. Let's get back to the Kingston Group's building a convincing win plan for the Tennessee Titans. And now on offense. On offense. We are getting everybody involved on offense. You want to build a convincing win. You want, and this is what Tad, Todd Downing said, we have to make sure that we're you know, less predictable. We have to make sure that what works in the first half works in the second half. Well, I, I got news for you. All you got to do is start using your best players. Instead of, if you want to keep the defense on their toes, the, some of the plays you set up with Jeff Swaim in the first half and you're passing to Jeff Swaim, why not put Chig out there in the second half and have him run the routes? This guy that you've only thrown to once. They've only thrown to Chig once. That now is they, ridiculous. They, they have alluded to the fact that he is not ready yet. Then, um, then, then everybody lied about practice, right? I mean, the, uh, I'm I'm done with your offseason reports. Media might as well not go because whatever you guys are seeing is obviously not what they're seeing because everybody talked about how great Chig was, even the coaches, even the staff, even the other players, all, and even you guys in the media talked about Chig. Yeah, no, it's fine. You can you can say to me specifically to yeah. my face that I said it because I'm. Well, everybody here. said it. You're not no, I know, the only I know. one. I mean, I there, there's at least a hundred people probably said it over the summer, <laughs> and, and and they're all and and a bunch of them are on the staff, and a bunch of them are on this team, and they still are like, well, you know. I well, look, know. Tim, Tim, Tim says it best because we all know that the key to winning is playing Swaim as much as possible. Again, one target in the second half, six targets in the first half. It's science. I will say this: you you can't be predictable. And if and if Chig is ready, because I we you can't see how well he does in blocking schemes in, in in a lot of practice. It's harder to tell in practice. It's easier to tell that he ran a route 
the right way, caught a pass against man coverage and made a play on a flat route or a corner route or whatever in two minute drills. It's easier to just see it and say, oh, he looks like he can do that well. It's harder when in, when you're out there on the field and you can't in a game and, and if all of a sudden he's an automatic indicator about what you're doing, then obviously he's not he's not 100% there yet. They said well, this so about They Taylor. don't have a problem with doing that with Cody Hollister. And, and maybe he's an automatic indicator. Uh, well, I don't know. They they've thrown the ball way too many times with Cody Hollister on the field. Um I I think I I'm with you. I want to see all the different weapons involved. Kyle Phillips, we don't know about his status. We'll we'll see what he looks like. Traylon Burks did not practice on Wednesday. Not worried uh, about it. I'm not I'm not worried about it either. I I do think that we are building towards a like one big monster game for Traylon Burks at some point. I don't know if it's this week, but there's going to be that like eight for one twenty two and a touchdown, and there's going to be a the national media is going to be like, oh look at this guy, and it's just going to kind of be slow progress for Titans fans to see him kind of continue to grow because every time he touches the ball. He's picking up nine or ten yards or twelve yards after he catches it. So yeah, the national media has been uh, even after this game, which I'm very surprised this was the narrative coming out of the Raiders game. Was Traylon Burks is about to go off, and he and he wasn't even really used that much, and he wasn't really that great during the Raiders game. Now he did, you know, he broke open a lot of routes that was missed on. So maybe that's what they're seeing. I just was a little surprised that people are actually watching all 22 of the Tennessee <laughs> Titans in the national media. Yeah, that's the one that's shaky, apparently. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, though, about um, do you want to see Ryan Tannehill run the football a little bit more? Use now, use, oh, use him mean, more creatively as well. You, you can, but he does a good job dictating when he's supposed to go. I think that there's a lot of times, kind of like his, his penchant for not throwing the ball away, I think there are times where he should take off and run instead of looking for a play downfield. But then when he runs and he's short of the first down, everybody's going to say, well, you missed a man wide open. It's right, just right. a no-win situation. Do I personally need to see that? No. What I need to see is Ryan Tannehill getting everybody involved. I... It's it's kind of weird that the ball is not being spread out more as much as possible. It's like he keys in on someone during the game, and maybe that's just the game plan. But I would like to see a little bit more involvement from everybody. And here's the thing about this Chico Conku thing, going back to that. We, how can anybody tell what he is in a game when he doesn't get to play in a game? Well, that's, and, that's, and let's that's be true. honest here. PFF grades aren't everything, but he's by far – by far the best graded blocker based on his snaps for this t this tight end team. Now, listen, it's not everything, but sometimes when you're in a game and you are like in the zone, you block a little bit better or you're a little bit more physical than maybe what you are in practice. Maybe that's not what they're wanting. Too much emphasis on practice for this team in the regular season, for sure. I, I'm okay with that. When you say, so Derrick Henry was involved last week mm -hmm. in the passing game, more than we've seen in, in, in a while, or at least this season. Um, right now, Robert Woods also significantly more involved last week in the passing game. He's now leading the team with 16 targets. You've got Traylon Burks with 13, Kyle Phillips with 10. Nick Westbrook-Akine was involved a little bit more last week. He's got nine targets. Austin Hooper has nine targets. Jeff Swim has seven. Derrick Henry has seven. I think Dontrell Hilliard being back is a big part of this as well. So what... Give me some give me some more specifics about who are the pieces that you want to see targeted specifically. I want to see more targets for Traylon Burks, and I want to see more targets for Dontrell Hilliard. I know that he's been out, but I think Hilliard is one of the keys to keeping this Colts. I don't think an opportunistic defense like the Colts, you can afford to pass it to Derrick Henry. The Raiders are a little bit lazier and yeah. weaker of a team. I think that if Derrick Henry bobbles that uh, screen pass against a better defense, that thing's getting – he's getting the shit knocked out of him. And yeah, I yeah, think I the Colts are looking to knock the crap out of everybody. And the Colts' defense also goes for the ball. That's specifically what Derrick Henry talked about. He talked about how tough they are, and he talked about how they're always trying to hammer the ball out. So I do not think that the targets for a running back through the air need to be going to Derrick Henry. I think yeah, that go, you go to Hilliard. Use, yeah, you got to use him creative, creatively. Get him out and open. Put him. You put Derrick Henry in the backfield. Put Dontrell Hilliard out in uh, the slot. You know, put do four wide and then put you know and do all this kind of stuff. Get creative and get him involved. 
I think that you need to find ways to get Chig involved, especially in the red zone. I think your red zone package should not have Jeff Swaim in it. I think it should be Chig and Austin Hooper and Traylon Burks, Robert Woods. And I think that I I hate hesitate to say this because I know people are going to get mad. But unless like your red zone starts on the one yard line, I think that if you're 10 yards or an out and you're in the red zone, you're, if you're in the 20 yard to 10 yard line, I think it needs to be all be Dontrell Hilliard all throughout that series. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, also, Hassan that's Haskins, pretty- Hassan Haskins, one target, Chickaconquu, one target on the season. Um, so I, I, I be, being more creative, there's no question about that. And uh, if you'd like a really creative plan for your house, check out the Kingston Group. BuildKG, buildkg.com. I am curious about Derrick Henry's usage in the backfield. Again, Shaq Leonard, we're not sure if he's going to go or not. He basically is telling people, look, I'm going to go when I'm ready. And when I'm ready, I'll be out there playing 100, 100 miles an hour like he always has been. Der- Derrick Henry has been solid, over five yards to carry for his career against this Colts team. He's averaging only 3.6 right now through three games. I, I still want to see that extra that extra step of quickness. And the big play. We have not seen the big play from Derrick Henry yet. And we know that the Titans have talked about it on both sides of the ball, frankly. Uh, I think Shane Bowen said, this is my new favorite phrase, X plays equal points. Um, and that's what he said on, on Thursday. And that's where you want to be. Maybe you should the- tell that to Todd Downing, too. <laughs> right. A Derrick Henry X play will equal points for this team. <laughs> And that that's not a complicated equation. I don't feel like. Well, they're they're built kind of like what you said about Traylon Burks about them building and building and building up to the he's going to have his monster breakout games and probably at a continuous level. I I think that Traylon Burks has a level of consistency to his game, but Derrick Henry's building and building and building to the big play. I mean, those big plays. He knows he hasn't gotten one yet. We know he wants one. You know he would love for the first one to be against the Colts and embarrass some people on the Colts team. We're building up to that, and I think that you're going to see at least one explosive play from Derrick Henry on the ground, and I'm going to go out on the limb and say two explosive plays from Traylon Burks in the air. Burks is the guy that I would have targeted as well for that kind of prediction. Um, I I think it's interesting your point about the human element. You know, that he sort of like completely – like brushed off the question about returning to the same place where he got hurt. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know, like if it's the same guy tackling you in the same stadium on the same field, it's, I don't know how you're as a human being, you don't have that in your head somehow. I mean, and again, we're, we're now four game where this will be the fourth game of the season and we we're still waiting for the big play. So, and it didn't happen in the playoff game last year from Derrick Henry. So it, we're, we have not seen a big play from Derrick Henry since the injury. So I don't know how it's not a part of his, even if it's just a tiny little kernel in the back of his brain, it's hard to, it's hard to take that human element out of it. So, yeah, I think it's fine to act like it's not bothering you. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's wrong to not think about it or, or to think about it, but I mean, he's thinking about it. I mean, Uh, it's just human nature. You can't, you can't block out that noise. I'm not saying that he's concerned or worried, I think it's. I think he's using it as fuel. I don't think he's using it as okay. fear. I think he's using it as fuel. What do you think about the injury report? Ola, Adeni, you've already talked about Bud Dupree. Christian Fulton will be out there. Ugo Amadi could be back out there this weekend. Uh, Amani Hooker and Zach Cunningham did not practice on Wednesday. Amani Hooker was a concussion. That's something that I uh, yeah. we were talking about in the. You were talking about injury reports or something in the offense, and that's a huge thing. If Amani Hooker's not ready to go. I guess Lonnie Johnson's back there, or possibly you put Ugo Amati back there. Maybe you call up Theo Jackson, but either way, Amani Hooker, because how it goes is Monty Hooker has to be a full participant in practice, or I believe it's full participant, but he has to participate in practice throughout the whole thing, and then he gets tested, and then he gets cleared, and he yeah. gets tested the next day. So you only have right now, it's Thursday, if he ain't practicing on Friday and getting cleared on Saturday, he's yeah. not going. And that's huge. So that's something to monitor. I don't know where he got the concussion from. I don't remember him leaving in the, the game uh in on the oak in against Las Vegas, but that that's a big to do right there. That is something yeah. to keep your eye on because I'm not saying that the Colts are the team that you would want if someone was injured, but they kind of are because who's their 
deep shot. Well, guy. So but he's a good red zone. He's a good goal line red zone guy. That's the problem. I what, have. what I was thinking too, when I was thinking about the hooker injury, I mean, your first thought is deep safety protection for, for, for great receivers. But the second thing you think about is versatile and dynamic running backs. And you can't argue about that with the Colts, with Taylor and Hines. They are, they have two versatile and dynamic players that they can use in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times it, it, it falls on David Long or Amani Hooker and Kevin Byer to make some of those plays. A lot of those plays in the open field, which is what Amani Hooker is so good at, which is tackling players in the open field. And if that's somebody different, I don't know how much I trust that guy to make come up and make that tackle on third and seven and Taylor catches a, a swing pass and he needs to be tackled. I trust Hooker to make that play on to make it a fourth and three. Or whatever. Like I, I, I trust him. I don't know if I trust any of those other names you just mentioned. Yeah. So. If 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 Ola Adini limited practice, if he's another limited practice today on Thursday, and then on Friday he's another limited practice, I'm feeling pretty good that he may play. And you, you talk about this team needing a pass rush. They need all the speed they can get. And Ola and Bud Dupree are by far the most av- accessible, available pass rushers and yeah. they they need it uh i assume with joe schobert Sh- being uh signed that it's not looking good for zach cunningham at least this week but at least zach cunningham has avoided the ir um, at least a lot of these players have avoided ir at this point 47 million dollars sitting on ir what is it yeah more than any other team in the nfl right now what is Hooray. a convincing win to you Braden? Derek, what does that look like? Der, an offense that is that is run through Derrick Henry, a defense that creates problems for a quarterback and an offensive line that have had no have had nothing but problems, turnovers, sacks, fumbles. He's been under pressure again. Ten sacks the last two games. I, I want to see Matt Ryan playing with very short clocks. I want to see the offense run through Derrick Henry, and I I don't care about the score per se. I don't care. 24 21 like i don't care about if there's a late touchdown for the colts like i don't i don't give a shit about the score i want it to be about titans football which is the front line destroying the quarterback and disrupting plays and rhythm and the offense running through their star tailback with with some play action to burks down the field so it's about it's about get back to basics and if they can get back to basics go on the road and beat a pretty good defensive team like this colts Mm -hmm. team 77 yards rushing in week one 96 yards rushing last uh, two weeks ago and 23 carries for 58 yards by the Chiefs last week. Uh, it's a good defensive team that might have Shaq Leonard back. It's all about just get the W and do it your way. And that would be conv- that would convince me to say, all right, they still have a chance to win the division. They still have a chance to get into a playoff situation where they could win a game. My, my convincing win would be, if you want me to believe that this team can kind of ruffle some feathers down the line with some of these other better AFC teams, then I need to see a like a 28 to 10, 28 to 7 mm. kind of win. Okay. Just because I need to see that they are able to play a full four quarters. That's to me is why I in 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 the scenario in my head, because we've seen it so often, the close loss usually means disastrous second quarter. <laughs> and I got to see, you know, 14 points in the first half, 14 points in the second half. You know, I got some consistency through four quarters of football on offense. And this is just this defense, even with all the injuries, the Titans defense, even with all the injuries, matches up so well. And let's not forget, Jonathan Taylor has a toe injury and he missed his first practice uh, this week in his career. That was was pretty that was a pretty amazing stat, by the way. Yeah, pretty crazy. But if he's got a toe injury, he may not be 100%. He had tough sledding, you know, this previous week. Uh, You got to be able to contain Jonathan Taylor because that is the guy you got to contain and let your corners do their job against Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. You you match up so well with this against this Colts offense. There's no reason that they should score more than 10 points, more than 14 at the very max. No, I I like... I like the Titans plus the three and a half. I thought that number, that number seemed a little off to me, but um, I mean, I think the Titans should go up there and win. But again, this is where I just go back to like, well, it's the NFL. Right. Who freaking knows? Like there's no way to ever know. And especially this Titans team, which always plays up to good teams down to bad ones. How do we know? Like we don't think the Colts are all that great. So is this playing down or is this playing up? Like I, it's a really weird kind of emotional spot for the Titans to be in, but season's not over with a loss, but it's getting close. Uh, that is for sure. Anything else with the Titans you want to add here 
Um, how about this? Third down defense, something to watch as well. They've been great on third downs. They were elite last week against the Raiders. They've been really good this year. Keep an eye on that on defense. And then X plays, of course. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else? The Colts, the Colts got healthy today because I, I just pulled up uh, some tweets here. Jonathan Taylor's back at practice today. Stephon Gilmore's back at practice. Ryan Kelly's back at practice. And so is Yannick Nagakwe. So they got a lot from of yesterday today, they got really healthy. That's a lot of dudes. <laughs> those are like those are like four of their most important players. Um, so we'll see. I, this is, I think it's going to be a brutal, low scoring physical game. And that's why I want to see Derrick Henry do Derrick Henry things. And if the defense pressures the quarterback and Derrick Henry does his job, I think they can, um, uh, let's see what the offensive line looks like. Uh, again, play action to Burks down the field. Let's see some of that stuff. So again, Titans football, just go back to being Titans football. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, before we get to the sec, of course, Let's tell everybody about our wonderful and amazing sponsors, the Pharmacy Burger, Parlor, and Beer Garden. They've got a soda rail. They've got milkshakes. They've got bratwurst. They've got tater tots. They've got their homemade mustards, fancy Dijon mustards. They've got locally sourced beers that are just for them, just brewed for their, their beer garden selectively. It's a great place to hang out. You can come on Mondays at 1 o'clock and heckle Zach. I don't, what else do you need out of, a, out of a burger, parlor, and beer garden? There's there's nothing. I mean, it has everything you could ever want, especially on Mondays at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah, right. Two gas bags sitting at the bar talking about the Titans. What everybody's always dreamed of while they eat a burger. Uh, I will say, lots of vibes, though, in that courtyard, in that, that garden back there. Lots of good vibes. So uh, go check it out. You can get out of there for like less than 50 bucks with the kids menu, too. Great place to take the kids. Uh, lunch spot during the work week. Just go check out the burger uh, parlor and beer garden. The pharmacy right over there on East Nashville. And it's patio weather, baby. You might as well it just is, get your dude. ass out there. Get your ass out to the Hot damn, is it finally patio weather. It's three months late, but I don't care. It's here. Uh, and if you want to sit on your own patio with a little booze, check out Weiss Liquors. Um, just search Uber Eats, and they'll deliver the booze right to your house. Zach? They drive so you can drink. Is that a better setup for you, honey? Yeah. Okay. Well, you, it right. doesn't work it. Weiss Liquors. And I'm like, Weiss well, Liquors. It's, it's a setup. It's, it's a tag. We've we've created the tagline. Yeah, but you got to actually explain what the tagline is beforehand. That's how taglines good, work. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> so go to Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, have the booze delivered right to your house in as quickly as twenty minutes. We've already talked about the Kingston Group as well. All right, U University of Tennessee making the college football playoff. What? Explain. It may be on by, but are they saying hello to college <laughs> football playoffs? Jesus Christ! The Vols are off, but is the college football playoffs on? This this stems from yeah. me. I caught uh, Joe versus Jared uh, last last night when I was walking Huxley, and um, they they were it's basically it was Joe versus Caroline, uh, and they were talking about what Joe said was essentially that if UT plays really close and loses to Georgia and Alabama, and those are their only two losses because they have a really great resume everywhere else, that if USC were to have be like a one loss team, but still win the Pac 12, that there's a good chance, very good chance, or th that UT would be considered and get in over a one loss team and Pac 12 champion into the college football playoffs. What do you think about that? Because I, I got my own thoughts. All right. There's a different, this is where you have to separate uh, reality and like, like fiction and, and, and sort of like, and they're not the thing you think they are, if that makes sense here. And I'll explain what I mean is, is that if Tennessee is 10 and two and their only two losses are to the first and second best teams in America, Georgia and Alabama, and they're close losses and they look competitive in those games and they have won every other swing game, Pittsburgh and Florida and Kentucky and LSU and South Carolina, and they are 10 and two. Does that make them one of the four best teams in college football? Maybe. That could be the reality, maybe. The other reality, however, is that there is a 0% chance they would get into the playoff. 0% chance. that We've never had a two-loss champion of a conference get into a playoff. Penn State was a two-loss champion and finished fifth. We have never seen a two-loss team get in, and I, there's, no, there's a 0% chance that a, a non-champion gets in with two losses. So there's two different arguments here. There's should they be considered would they be deserving of being considered versus will it actually happen? And there's a 0% chance it happens. 
we can have a more nuanced conversation about would they be deserving of the conversation? I think they would, but 12 and one USC is going to get in ahead of a two loss Tennessee team that doesn't win its own division. So like, let me, it's just, let, let me ask you to play devil's advocate here, even though the devil's in hell for a reason. <laughs> I, I got a couple of questions about this because UT, when you're in the room and they spend hours upon hours and hours, the committee does deciding who gets it. And you're looking at USC and the West Coast and UT and the Southeast and and basically their fan base versus the USC fan base. Do do ratings slash the brand. ticket sales and brand. brand come into play? Because wouldn't no. UT get the edge out there? Actually, no. What's interesting... Um... I, this is a conspiracy theory with college football Twitter all the time. Like, oh, they just put Ohio State and Alabama in because it's the biggest brands. And like, and this is the argument against an all-SEC thing. Like, this is the argument against Ole Miss and Mississippi State and, like, ESPN in the, in the playoff, like, propping up the SEC. They already have the Southeast in terms of ratings. It doesn't matter who plays. The Southeast is going to watch. Birmingham, Charlotte, Atlanta, Nashville, Louis, New Orleans. We will watch the college football playoff it, if it is Cincinnati and Michigan. We will watch that shit. So it, they don't need like a they don't need a third southeastern team because that's just that's just. But if you put a USC team, the biggest brand west of Texas, into the playoff, you're bringing in a whole half of the country that you don't normally get. And so if even if that was true, like like ratings mattered to the decision making process, it, the the answer would be USC. USC is the only brand on the West Coast that would be considered far more worthy and meaningful. From a dollar standpoint, here's the argument though for Tennessee, and this is I hope somebody brought this up, so I can't stand listening to local radio people talk about college football. <clears throat> what would Tennessee's best win be? Kentucky, I guess. Right? Where's Kentucky at that point? Is that a top twenty-five win? Well, that, yeah, that depends upon this weekend, right? Against Ole Miss, they got they're playing Ole Miss and. I think Kentucky will win, but Ole Miss has got a lot of offensive firepower to knock them down a peg or two. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying if Kentucky, if yeah. you go if you go into a playoff committee conversation with a ten and two resume and your best win is Kentucky, and I like Kentucky, I love Kentucky, I'm a Kentucky Big Blue Nation stan. I love Mark Stoops, but if you're telling me Kentucky is your best win on your resume, there's a there's no chance you're getting consideration, zero chance. Well, my my thing is is that. Why would they put you in to lose again? Because you're playing either Alabama or Georgia if you make the playoffs, and you're I don't think you know. I, like, I don't. I don't think rematches should be factored into it. You don't think so? No. Like if your job, like this is what's so beautiful in its simplicity about. The I, I'm saying that rematch as a two win team, by the way. Oh, even even worse as a two win team. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying is that a two win team because I think the only real path. And I I want to ask you this about their college football playoffs chances because let's say in a wild turn of events, they beat Georgia. They lose to Alabama in the regular season, but they beat Georgia in the regular season. They play Alabama in the conference championship, and they lose to Alabama again. No way they're getting the college football playoffs, right? No, no, here they don't. No, not with, yeah. two, not with two losses and no championship. That That's not going to yeah. happen. I'm here's just how, saying if the loss came in, then Georgia's not around, right? Here's, here's how they get in. Okay. You beat Alabama at home. Because you you maybe actually match up better with them than Georgia. Mm -hmm. You lose to Georgia on the road. Georgia's undefeated. They're in Atlanta. They lose to Alabama. They all have one loss. Then they could all get in. Yeah. That's oh, possible. That would, be, that would set the college football world ablaze if three SEC teams got in. Which, it, which is not going to happen. But right. that is what the A&M argument was before the season, right? It's mm -hmm. like they lose to Alabama, but they win, They beat everybody else. And three three teams could get in. And that's – I don't – I don't, I don't think that's possible. Uh, I also don't think it's, I'm not, I'm also not ready to say that this Tennessee team is complete enough to go 10 and two and play really well in both of those games. Like, I think they're going to get boat raced by Georgia. I think they, I think they're going to hang with Alabama for three quarters. The question is what, what happens in the fourth quarter? Uh, and then they still have to play perfectly every other game. Like they have to be perfect. And I just don't think the resume is there for a, a two loss team to be considered. Like, the big 12 could have a one loss champion. The, you know, there could be Michigan. Here's the thing. Michigan could be 11 and one at the end of the regular season. And their only loss could be on the road to Ohio state. 
that Michigan team would have a better case to get in than Tennessee. Wouldn't that be crazy if there were two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams in the college football playoffs? God, that's my dream come true. Because the Is whole it? It's for two reasons, mostly because Twitter would be really upset about it. Yeah, that's number one. Um, always, and, always that. Yes, and my sewers sort of like we have our own different sewers yeah. that we like to travel in and, and traffic in uh, on the Twitters. Mine is college football Twitter, which can't stand Aaron Judge at bats. I guess I don't fucking care why that people are pissed off about that. But like two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams, you're going to get everybody screaming. This is what's wrong with the game. <laughs> it's the power two. The sport is being ruined. Blah 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 blah. Here's how the sport's not ruined: Ole Miss, Kentucky this weekend like that's the game you enjoy enjoy right. Ole Miss Kentucky we have no clue what Ole Miss is they like to run the ball Kentucky can stop the run they got a really good quarterback and Will Levis we don't know what the Ole Miss quarterback situation is that's a really fun football game that is the game if yeah. you're a purist and a diehard and you're trying to sell me on the product sell me on Ole Miss and Kentucky don't sell me on who gives a shit who's in the playoff like stop focusing on the playoff focus on your own team and the fun of every Saturday being dramatic and entertaining like it's well, it's I will say this, and over the over the off season, what did I say? That all oh, these losers that are going to get in, you know, when they expand the playoffs, aren't going to do anything, aren't going to make some noise. It's going to be it's going to be the same old teams. UT is making a good case to turn me around on that thinking, <laughs> because I do think that if you kind of like a magical run, UT, I, I don't know what it is about. I, I'm telling you. The youth pastor has got a hold on me for whatever reason. And, you know, Hidden Hooker has looked so, so precise. I think I feel like, I d what do you need to see out of Hidden Hooker yeah, just... that, that, that would convince you that he could play in the NFL? Oh, um... and that's what I'm thinking is that like, if he goes on and is, is like a finalist for the Heisman and his accuracy stats maintain the same, I mean, He's doing what's being asked of him to a high degree. I no, there's no question he's in complete control. Um, there's no question about that. I, I think that's an interesting question because I, I all I have is sort of my own perception, and my own perception has always been that I don't see NFL talent because he uses he plays in a system that's very simple that doesn't translate to the NFL, and he uses his legs a lot when the play breaks down. And so it's like, is the is the arm big enough? Is the throwing motion short enough? Like you start nitpicking stuff. And I think when you put him and Will Levis together on the same field, you can kind of see the difference as to why one is a really high prospect and one is maybe not as high. But I, I also thought about, thought that about Jalen Hurts. I was like, about to say, what were your, because to me, it's, I, I think they're two totally different quarterbacks from the way that they play. But a lot of the things that everybody's concerned about is Jalen Hurts is, I, I'm still holding off that bad Jalen Hurts is on their horizon. It's it's possible, right? But I was a big fan of Jalen Hurts coming out of college. I kind of wanted the Titans to draft him over their various disasters of the 2020 uh, NFL draft because I thought that he could sit behind Ryan Tannehill, similar to Malik Willis, sit behind Ryan Tannehill and pick, and this would be the perfect offense yeah. for Jalen Hurts. I'm still out. Jury's still out for me on whether this system is great for Malik Willis or not. That's a totally different discussion. So I just wonder, Hidden no. Hooker would not work here, but I think Hidden Hooker somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting that they, they actually do have some similar comparisons mentally. Yeah. They're, they're both extremely mature. They're both very hardworking, sort of clean cut, like, you know, leader of the team, ambassador of the offense kind of guys. Like, they're just very, um, very well respected in the locker room. Like, there's no... There's no sort of like nonsense around. There's no noise around Hendon Hooker of any kind. Right. You know, like at, at all, nor should there be. Um, I, you know, how, how does he play against Georgia? I, I think that's the Georgia is the most professional defense. Alabama's as well. Those are the two most professional defenses he's going to face this year. So a lot for this Tennessee team is still left sitting out there. And we're going to find out and learn a lot more. They got LSU next weekend and then they get Alabama at home. And there you go. So. All right, let's rapid fire these last SEC questions. I got two for the Arkansas-Alabama game. If Arkansas wins and pulls up the upset, what does that say about Arkansas? What does that say about Alabama? Alabama, it's all about, like, are you just not as good as, like, has everyone gained ground on you? And and especially on the road, where last year they struggled against Florida, they lost to AM, they struggled against LSU, they struggled against Auburn. This year, they struggled against Texas, like really close games. They have not been the same dominant Nick Saban 
Alabama dynasty team on the road. And this is a big test to me. Like, do we see Alabama turn a corner and become themselves again in that old dominant Bama that we that we're used to seeing on the road as a 17 point favorite? Or if they lose or are even challenged, I have major questions about this team away from Tuscaloosa. Because again, they're going to go to Knoxville in a couple of weeks. It, it, what does it say about Arkansas? It says that the loss to AM was totally fluky, like it looked, because it was two of the craziest plays you'll ever see in a game the fumble and the field goal, and that they are clearly one of the top three teams, three or four teams in the SEC, that they probably belong to be in the top 10 nationally. Uh, you know, the whole narrative of Arkansas football changed with a win. Because again, Nick Saban, you know what his record is against Arkansas at Alabama? No. 15 to no. That's what I'm about to say. I, I just like, I can't think of a loss. I felt like it was a trick question. Nope. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's like, have they ever lost? Because I know they've lost to Mississippi State a few times. I was like, did I miss an Arkansas loss during Fifth, my college years? 15 and 0. 15 and 0. Nick Saban has never lost to Arkansas as the Alabama coach. Now, I like Arkansas plus the points because they're I was a really good ask. So That really means good. that you think that Arkansas is going to slow Bama's roll? I, I, I guess technically, yeah. Um, I think Alabama's road struggles packaged with KJ Jefferson's talent and their offensive mindset of being physical against Alabama's front seven. They're one of the few teams that can line up and hit Alabama in the mouth and like maybe even go toe to toe with them. We'll see, maybe not, but I, if I'm betting on it, which I'm not necessarily saying you should do, I like Arkansas plus the points. Can Kentucky keep up with the rushing attack of Ole Miss that is just scoring a lot of points at a high rate? I think Kentucky does the one thing you can do to stop Ole Miss, and they are great against the run. You just mentioned it. Ole Miss wants to run the football. The problem with Ole Miss is they don't have the complimentary passing game yet. I, not that I've seen. Jackson Dart is not as efficient. You know, Luke Altmyer sitting there. These two guys do not have the same ability that Matt Corral did. And, and Zach Evans, we don't know how healthy he is. He left the game last year, last week for personal medical issues, whatever that means. They, they did not play particularly well. I think Kentucky is going to go down there and muck it up, play great defense, and Will Levis is the difference. I Kentucky's a seven-point dog. I like Kentucky on the money line. Like I like Kentucky outright to win this weekend against Ole Miss. I just, if Ole Miss wins by three touchdowns, then we can just say, all right, they're great. There goes oh, UT's resume. <laughs> yeah, they're great. But like, they, they haven't played anybody. We don't know anything about Ole right. Miss. They, they, we don't know anything for certain about the rebels yet. So we'll find out. That's why this game is so much fun. They are an unknown as an unbeaten and Kentucky's also unbeaten. And it's just super fun. Only the second time ever in history of this, these two teams where both of them are ranked in this game. It's a, it's a pretty unique circumstance. So pretty fun stuff down in Oxford. Who needs to reach four and one the most Texas A&M, Mississippi state, LSU or Auburn. They all four. Yeah, they play each other pretty much. Yeah. LSU's at Auburn nine point yeah. favorite. Uh, Tim, LSU minus the points. Okay, yeah. th th this is a this is put Brian Harson with a Y out of his misery, which I, that supposedly he's already been fired. Is that that's the rumor floating around? Yeah, why I don't know why he hasn't been fired weeks ago. I don't I don't yeah. know why. Um, I, I like LSU minus the points. I I would go in there and say a 20, 30 point win for LSU. You know, change, it just sort of ends the whole thing, puts a bow on it <laughs> for Auburn. Um, so I don't think Auburn needs to get to four and one because I don't think it matters what happens. Right. Uh, Brian Harson's gone, so it's not Auburn. LSU's going to win, and so four and one is a really nice start for them, considering how they played against Florida State in Week One. Sort of changes the narrative around LSU a little bit. I think the answer is Mississippi State because a they don't have the pedigree of the other teams and the talent of the other teams, the the, the high end teams in the SEC. So their schedule is really difficult, and they're at home and they're favored. You're at home, you're favored, and you have a you have a lot of tough games left on your schedule. Uh, to me, it's Mississippi State is the answer here. They don't have a ton of opportunities for big wins left on the schedule because there's a lot of tough games. They got Georgia, Alabama <laughs> still on their schedule. Whereas AM, I, I think AM's schedule lightens up a little bit, and Jimbo's not going anywhere. You know, AM probably already feels like they, they're playing with house money at this point because they lost App State, you know, like they don't feel like they're gonna win anything. So I think it's Mississippi State. If they want to have a great season and kind of break through, to me, Mississippi State's the team that needs to get to, to four and one at home as a three and a half point favorite over AM. I think I might take the Aggies in the points, though, on that uh -oh. one. That'd be I, interesting. I think that's going to be, I think these four games, these three, uh, basically the last four games that we talked about are all really good uh, slate of SEC games with all kinds. 
by halftime, some of these games may be decided and then you can quit watching. But I think there's a, a good competitiveness throughout this whole week of uh, SEC oh, football. It's awesome. The only one that's a blowout is Georgia, Missouri. And there you want a, a bet of the week, Georgia minus 28 at Missouri, lay the points, take the dogs. That would be my lock of the week, whatever you want to call it. But oh, I'm with, that's a big lock. But I'm with you. The other four are great, man. Yeah. There's no reason that these other four games couldn't be awesome and really dramatic and entertaining. And uh, the, the one thing we know about the SEC, uh, Georgia and Bama are good. The bottom four suck. South Carolina, Missouri, Auburn, and Vanderbilt. But three through 10, I, almost identical. Three through 10 in this league, throw them in a bag, pick two random ones out, and they're probably going to play a great game. And you got at least three of those this weekend. So if not, if not four. So should be a ton of fun in the college slate. It's going to be a good one. Good there weekend. Go. Uh, special thanks to Pharmacy right there. The Kingston Group right there. Weiss Liquors right there. Three locally owned and operated businesses in Nashville by Nashvillians for Nashvillians. So make sure if you're doing any big decisions, making any big decisions about your house, check out the Kingston Group. That's buildkg.com. We'll be live on Monday recapping the Titans, hopefully victory at the pharmacy. That's uh, the beer garden and burger parlor. I don't know why I cannot get that correct. Uh, over there on McFerrin Avenue in East Nashville. So we'll be back there on Monday. So make sure you check out the pharmacy over the weekend. Great place to take the family for a, a nice burger or brat. And of course, Weiss Liquors, Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, have the booze delivered directly to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. They drive so you can drink. So that, that was better? Yeah, it's a little bit better. That was a little bit better. All right. <laughs> there, there we have it. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Turn on all the notifications. Follow all the shows from Broadway Sports and 440 Sports. We appreciate all you guys. Have a great weekend. For Zach, I'm Braden. This has been a football show.